Welcome to the Small Business Commission meeting on March 27th, 2023. The meeting is being called to order at 4.35 p.m. The meeting is being held in person in City Hall, room 400, and broadcast live on SFGov-TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov-TV for televising the meeting which can be viewed on SFGovTV2 or live-streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person, then people attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public who are calling in, the number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2494-807-6662, followed by password 7221. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you'll be, in, you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When called for public comment, please mute the device that you're listening to the meeting on. You'll be prompted to speak. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker and an alarm will sound once time is finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. The Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, particularly at this time, you can find us online or via telephone. And as always, our services are free of charge. Before item one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGov TV for coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call item one. Item one, roll call. Uh, let me turn everybody's mics on. Commissioner Carter. Present. Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Herbert. Present. President Huey. Here. <laughs> Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Present. And Vice President Zizunas. Present. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. Small business, the San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item two. Item two, approval of legacy business registry applications and resolution. This is a discussion and action item presenting today. We have Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager. Welcome, Richard. Thank you very much. 
Good afternoon, President Huey, Vice President Zazunas, Commissioners, City staff, members of the public. I'm Richard Carrillo, Legacy Business Program Manager. I would like to acknowledge Michelle Reynolds, my colleague in the Office of Small Business, who assists with the review, collation, and processing of Legacy Business Registry applications. SFGov TV, I have a PowerPoint presentation. Before you today are four applications for your consideration for the Legacy Business Registry. Each application includes a staff report, a draft resolution, the application itself, and documents from the planning department. The applications were submitted to planning on February 15th and heard by the Historic Preservation Commission on March 15th. Item 2A is Bernie's Pet Shop. The business is a dog grooming service that was founded in 1989 by Bernadette Bernie Machado. Bern, uh, Bernie's Pet Shop, also known as City Dogs, serves over 6,000 canines a year in the South Beach neighborhood and aims to minimize stress and promote the best interest of the dogs in their care without sacrificing quality. The business does compassionate canine grooming and related services within the view of the public, which is not common in the grooming industry. Additionally, the business has been a vocal advocate in encouraging canine owners to spay or neuter their pets. Bernie's Pet Shop will pamper your dog, tailor appointments to your dog's needs, and care for your dog in a safe and comfortable manner. Their fabulous team is looking forward to meeting you and your fantastic pup. The core feature tradition the business must maintain to remain on the legacy business registry is dog grooming. Item 2B is Castro Village Wine Company. The business is a small boutique wine shop in the Castro neighborhood specializing in the sale of fine California wines. Castro Village Wine Company was founded in 1980 as a way to enrich the LGBT community in the Castro, which had recently been devastated by the 1978 assassination of Harvey Milk. The shops focus on the new emerging world of California wines instead of old world European wines reflected the new community the Castro's LGBTQ residents were building and was a symbol of looking forward. Castro Village Wine Company offers an eclectic assortment of California wines across all styles, regions, and prices, ranging from blockbuster reds from Napa Valley to exciting blends from Paso Robles to new offerings from small and upcoming winemakers. The business aims to provide an inclusive and welcoming space for anyone interested in wine and wine culture. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is wine store. Item 2C is Guerra Quality Meats. The business is a retail butcher shop in the Sunset District that was founded in 1954. When Guerra Quality Meats opened, family-run butcher shops were ubiquitous throughout the neighborhood. Over time, most of these independent butcher shops have disappeared, forced out of business by the proliferation of supermarkets, big box stores, and online shopping. Guerra Quality Meats survived and thrived. In the 1980s, the business expanded to include a full deli, catering menu, fresh produce, milk and eggs, wine, and a variety of select items imported from Italy, making the small corner store a one-stop shopping destination for customers wanting to avoid long lines at supermarkets or are uncomfortable ordering groceries online. The current ownership is the third generation of Guerra's in partnership with two long-term employees. 
core feature tradition the business must maintain is butcher shop. Item 2D is Mendel's Far Out Fabrics. The business is a, also a third generation business. Fi founded in 1958, Mendel's uh, Far Out Fabrics, commonly known as Mendel's, is a one-stop shop for crafting, art, knitting, fabric, and other creative supplies in the heart of Haight-Ashbury. Mendel's originally sold house paint, flooring, and art supplies and was called You Save Paint and Linoleum. In the 1960s and 70s, the store gradually ceased selling linoleum products and shifted to offer primarily art and craft materials. The store was popular with bohemians and artists in Haight-Ashbury and beyond who flocked to the store for its unique selection of fabrics, paints, and other art supplies, a trend that continues to this day. The core featured tradition the business must maintain is art supplies and craft store. A fun note, Mendel's was the winner of San Francisco Heritage's Legacy Business Voting Contest in August 2022. People voted on which business in Haight-Ashbury would make an ideal legacy business. As the winner, Mendel's received one-on-one -on -one guidance from SF Heritage with their legacy application. SF Heritage has provided such assistance to a number of other businesses already on the registry and has been a strong partner in developing and growing the legacy business program. We appreciate their partnership. All four businesses met the four criteria required for listing on the Legacy Business Registry, and all four received a positive recommendation from the Historic Preservation Commission. Legacy Business Program staff recommends adding the businesses to the registry and has drafted four resolutions for your consideration. A motion in support of the businesses should be framed as a motion in favor of the resolutions. Thank you. This concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. There are business representatives in the room and possibly online who would like to speak on behalf of the applications during public comment. Thank you so much, Richard. Uh, commissioners, any questions? No? Um, okay, let's open it up for public comment. If people wanna um, form a line over here and then come up for public comment, we'd love to hear from you. This is our favorite part, so feel free to. <laughs> um, thank you for having me here today. Uh, my name is Mark Sherman. I'm a junior partner at Guerra Quality Meats. I am not a Guerra. I'm a long-term employee, but um, I'm privileged that the Guerras uh, saw fit to ask me uh, to bear the responsibility of, of being a managing partner at the business. Uh, we've been around for 70 years. Uh, and it was asked of me by one of the retiring partners, Paul Guerra, son of the founder, Mark, uh, that I do everything I can uh, to keep the business going for another 100 years. Far, far past my, my due date. <laughs> I'm only 50. But um, I, I, I do want to say that should you choose to bequeath this honor on our small business, uh, it would be a testament to the efforts um, put in by so many men and women that are no longer with us, who kept not only founded this, this small store in the sun, sunset, uh, but gave their lives to it. Um, so that's all I have to say. Thank you.
little short here. Good afternoon. I am Naomi Silverman, and I am the third generation owner of Mendel's. Um, when I thought about what we're doing here today, there were two kind of moments that I thought were relevant. I've been in this business for 30 years, and 20 years of that I worked side by side with my aunt. It wasn't really until she passed away in 2013 and I officially took over the reins that I realized what I was doing. And yes, I'm running an art store, but really what I'm doing is building on the foundation that my grandparents and my aunt really worked so hard to um, cultivate. So that's really what I'm doing. The other, I think, important thing comes a lot more recently and coming out of the pandemic and out of um, lockdown and everything being very limited, our customers have been incredible and they have come out of the woodwork and were very concerned that we might have to close. They did everything that they could to intentionally buy things from us to make sure that we had money coming through our registers to ensure that. And I guess what's important to me is that it really is a partnership. I can work hard to maintain the business and have it there for them, but if the community doesn't come out, it doesn't matter how hard we as small businesses work, it's not rewarded. And so we are there for the community, the community supports us, and then we're able to support them back. Um, the other thing that I think is kind of neat is my aunt had a house on 12th Avenue. She was constantly at Guerra's. So I think it's very fitting that we should be here today. So thank you for this opportunity and the acknowledgement. Are, they, are there any other speakers? Hello, commissioners. My name is Kristen Evans, and I would love to speak in favor of Mendel's. Um, one thing Naomi didn't tell you is that she's been an active member of our Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association for many years. She's a solid rock foundation, part of our merchant community, really supporting other merchants along the street, and especially through the pandemic, um, putting up resources on our website and connecting with people in our community, um, helping them stay, keep their doors open. So I just wanted to say Mendel's is really important to our community in many ways. I'll also mention that you know if you've ever been on Haight Street, you probably have already popped into Mendel's. It's just a, in the middle of, of the corridor there. Um, but one of the things is if you ever get a chance in October, you'll just see how crazy excited people are to come and shop at Mendel's, um, pick out fabrics and materials and things for their costumes. Also, in the lead up to Burning Man, you'll see people in there. They've cultivated this huge selection of faux furs. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot to see at Mendel's, but be sure to stop by next time you're on Hate Street. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to evaluate all of our small businesses. We are the core of San Francisco. To tell you the truth, we do rely on larger businesses, but it's the heart and soul of the people of San Francisco that create us small businesses. We are the heart and soul of the community, and we couldn't do it without the people. Um, I am privileged to have done business in San Francisco for 34 years. Um, I love what I do. 
and I um, am fortunate to uh, work alongside some uh, teen programs, Life Learning Academy and the Mayor's Youth Employment Program. And my goal is not primarily to teach them dog grooming, but to see young people view day in, day out, people that love what they do. And my staff and myself included love what we do and we are willing to pass that love to them. And it's the soft skills in life of the first several jobs that you have that creates a foundation for you to be able to find your own passion. And that's what my business has been able to uh, filter through. And um, I want to say thank you for doing what you do. And it would mean a great deal to my team and to my family and to myself to be a part of the legacy of businesses in San Francisco. Thank you. Would anybody else in the room like to comment? Uh, we have no callers on the line. <laughs> Sorry, public comment. It's closed. So, commissioners, any comments? Uh, Commissioner Herbert. I just want to thank you all for coming out. And um, we're small business owners up here, so we understand the daily hard work and the mentoring that goes into running a business for so long. And um, really appreciate you guys, each of you, um, your eloquence and giving us your, your inside um, perspective on things. So thank you so much. And, and we really appreciate what you bring to the city. So thank you. Commissioner Dickerson. Yeah, hello. There we go. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the work that you do. Um, as my fellow commissioner said, that we're all small businesses as well. And so you all are coming here for an approval from small businesses. And we're looking at you all like, how did you do what you did? So, you know, I think this is an amazing exchange that we get the opportunity to hear about your businesses, get the opportunity to come and have a new experience. I 100% agree with you. Small business is the heart of San Francisco. We all believe that here. And uh, it's what makes this city what it is, an amazing city to live in and be a part of in the small business community. So I want to take my hat off to you. Not literally, I'm not going to do that. But I want to take my hat off to you and um, just say Bernie's Pet Shop, Castro Village Wine, Guerrero Quality Meats, Mendel's, thank you so much for you serving this community of San Francisco, and I just pray continual blessings on your business as you continue to do what you do so well. Thank you. Vice President Zunis. Thank you, and uh, thanks for everybody who came out to speak about your business and gave us the honor of 
of your presence on a work day. Um, you all spoke really great to how our small businesses, our incubators, our community development institutions in their own right with um, creating the leaders that reproduce this city every day. Um, I come from a family business. You know, I just happen to be at Guerra Meets the other week, randomly just getting some last minute uh, barbecue materials and they let me in, their last customer, and I just felt compelled to tell them that my grandpa was a butcher and that's, you know, the legacy I come from and I just retired my parents from our corner market. And, you know, it, it invokes the familial bonds that make this city so, um, I love the solidarity that we have together, and thank you for, for help building that ecosystem. And yeah, looking forward to voting on you today. Commissioners? Um, I um, just wanna share, I guess, thank you very much, Guerre Meets. I don't know how to pronounce you, per correctly by the way I feel like I hear it in the neighbor I live in West Portal and I hear it in the neighborhood so many different ways but everybody shops there and um, you know you've provided my family with so many meals um, and been so generous with how to prepare food because I actually don't cook very much and I definitely don't cook meat and so you guys are always like so nice about that and like so kind about not judging that I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but being um, great about offering suggestions so that my husband can cook the meat. So thank you very much for, for that. <laughs> well, I've... I can really appreciate, you know, the thread line um, for today and as well as like all of our legacy businesses is that I think you're all really anchors of all of your communities and all of the city really. So I, you know, I appreciate you for keeping your doors open and welcoming people in the neighborhood, people from all over, you know, the world who come to visit. This is really what makes San Francisco special. So thank you so much. Um, you know, one other thing is that I also realize that it's not often that you get time to leave your business. You're probably there most of the time, if not at home in front of like a spreadsheet of some sort. <laughs> so, you know, I really hope that you spend some time tonight sharing this moment, you know, with your family to be able to reflect and, you know, feel really proud of yourself. Because I know I, I rarely take the time out to really think about what I'm like, actually accomplishing and this is a huge accomplishment to be able to take on a business for the third generation or for 34 years or for you know any amount of time so um, you know thank you thank you very much for all you do um, at this time would anyone like to make a motion for a resolution to adopt all legacy businesses to adopt them all <laughs> Okay. I'll third it. <laughs> Motion to approve the applications by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Carter. I'll call the roll. Commissioner Carter. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Herbert. Yes. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zazunas. Yes.
motion passes. Congratulations. Woo! Hang on one second. Item three, San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group update on public banking. This is a discussion item. Uh, the commission will hear a presentation and update on draft plans for a San Francisco public bank and a municipal financial corporation. We have Kristen Evans with the San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group. And I totally... Colin Samurai. Colin Samurai with... LAFCO, it's the department. LAFCO, I apologize, I have an <laughs> older doc. Um, well, thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for coming today. Yeah. Feel free to... My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Um, we, we came to the commission, some of you will remember, uh, last year to tell you that we were starting our work on the creation of plans to create a San Francisco public bank. Very interesting time to talk about banking now. <laughs> um, but I would make the case, call it would too, even makes it more critical that we really think about municipal banking and public banks as part of the security and stable um, options for um, ensuring economic vitality of our community. So um, today I'm going to give you an update on uh, where we have been, um, how we got here, who's who, and our timeline going forward. So we're sort of like at a midpoint check-in with you. Um, why a public bank? And then uh, Khalid will be walking through certain, I know both the plans were very long. If you, if you tried to venture into them, there are over 50 pages each. He's going to pull out sections that you might want to focus in on and provide feedback on. Okay? Super. So 
why San Francisco needs a public bank. So the fundamental need for a city-owned bank stems from the historic inability of traditional financial institutions to equitably serve the needs of low-income communities and communities of color to deliver financial services that are not extractive or damaging to those same communities. So um, we've been talking about uh, creating a public bank in San Francisco since like a long time, like going back, um, uh, uh, Director Tank would could testify to that. Um, uh, there has been um, a number of efforts over the years to think about San Francisco as a city's relationship to banking institutions and to think about how we might create our own. Um, more recent history, um, uh, then Assembly Member David Chu um, uh, sponsored Bill 857, Assembly Bill 857, which was passed in 2019 that allows California municipalities to create public banks. So we are um, one of many municipalities that are currently engaged in this work to um, set the foundation in place for creating such an institution. Um, the reinvestment working group uh, was created through a unanimous ordinance um, that passed in July 2021 um, that created our group under LAFCO, the local, ag local agency formation commission. commission, which every county has a LAFCO. Um, so uh, our LAFCO has brought us clean SF. Yeah, clean SF. <coughs> Excuse me, I need a little water. Sorry, tickle in my throat. Um, so uh, we can go to the next, next slide. <clears throat> so today, I, I'm actually gonna hand this off to college real quick here. Um, I am the current chair of this, in, in the small business seat of the working group. There are nine members, um, three community seats, three um, financial experts, and a representative of the controller and the treasurer. And we are working with a consulting firm, HRNA, along with Contigo and Finley. You'll hear us mention them. They've helped us to develop these plans. So why don't, why don't you take over? You Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you, commissioners. Um, so uh, the ordinance that created the reinvestment working group required the uh, working group to do two things, um, develop a business and governance plan for a public bank and develop a business and governance plan for a predecessor to a public bank called the MFC. An MFC is just basically a public bank that can accept deposits. The, the main difference between a bank, an organization that is a bank, and an organization that's not, is that banks can accept deposits um, and non-banks cannot. And so what an MFC will be able to do is um, give out loans but not accept deposits. We wouldn't be able to do that until we became a bank. And uh, so that's what um, the, the plans that I'm gonna present to you um, are about. Some, uh, a few of our milestones so far. Uh, so the working group started meeting last April. Um, 
uh, Contigo, uh, the, one of the consultants, um, completed its uh, community outreach with uh, a lot of businesses um, and uh, nonprofits um, in San Francisco. And uh, last month, February, we released the draft plans and we are soliciting feedback on those plans until March 31st. Uh, our plan is to have uh, all of those, the, both the MFC and the public bank plans finalized and presented to the Board of Supervisors um, in, at the end of May. And uh, so a lot of folks um, were uh, asked for their feedback um, during the community outreach process. We asked them, uh, what are, what's missing um, in the San Francisco banking environment when it comes to affordable housing, small business investment, and uh, green energy financing? And we talked to a lot of folks, uh, Contigo, um, one of the, the, one of the um, consultants that works with the working group, um, put that together into a community outreach report. HRNA built upon that work uh, to develop a specific loan products um, that we think the uh, San Francisco would benefit from. And so there are, uh, like I said, there's the MFC first and then the public bank second. And the working group is developing plans for both of those. The two are very similar um, because the MFC will start the work that the public bank will then continue and expand upon with its ability to accept deposits. And so what I'm gonna be describing is both the uh, governance uh, structure, lending priorities, and capitalization process for the MFC and public bank. And I'll just note, uh, as you, uh, I handed out earlier, these plans, these plans are very extensive, and so I will not be able to go through all the details today, but there are differences between the MFC and the public bank, the main one being deposits. Um, and, uh, but any questions you have about the, the two, uh, feel free to, to ask. Okay, so, um, first, we're going to talk about governance structure, and both the MFC and Public Bank um, prioritize uh, the aspirational values of San Francisco, um, democratic control, accountability, and transparency. Both the MFC and Public Bank will have similar mission and principles. Again, because what we want to do is create the MFC, have it run for three to five years, build a successful track record, and then convert to a public bank. And so it makes sense for them to have the same mission and same uh, principles. What we're looking at here today is one of the potential um, governance models for a public bank. And what you'll see is the very top are, the, as always, the San Francisco voters um, selecting the Board of Supervisors and the mayor. And then under the mayor and board of supervisors would sit something called a banking oversight commission, which would then oversee the bank board of directors who will be tasked with running the day-to-day -day operations. The only difference for the MFC model would be to slim this down a little bit so that we can save on operating costs and startup costs. And within three to five years, once the MFC is ready to go, it will transition into a full public bank and um, have the full uh, governance model one note about what we're looking at today, this is one of four governance models that the working group is uh, looking at today. And the working group's goal is to make sure that the, the, mod, the governance model they select will ensure transparency and anti-corruption um, 
in their work because this is a, a predecessor to a bank, a, a public bank using municipal public dollars and we want that democrat democratic control and accountability uh, for this institution next i'm going to talk about those lending priorities and this is um this again came out of that work that contigo did that uh when they um, met with all those san francisco residents small businesses and nonprofits, um and essentially what we found and there's actually a typo on this um is that the affordable housing development need in San Francisco, and this says $400 million a year, that's no longer correct. It's 1.2 to 2.4 billion dollars a year um, to meet our current affordable housing crisis needs. And this is from the MOHCD um, uh, presentation from uh, last, late last year. It is linked in the um, report itself. Additionally, um, we found that um, small businesses are unsupported by traditional banks and that there have actually been um, several bank closures since COVID, um, not keeping small businesses from um, working with uh, um, their local bank. And lastly, um, another priority area for lending in San Francisco is green energy financing. And the recent uh, report from the Department of Environment shows that we'll probably need anywhere between, um, I think that's the lower estimate, uh, something around $20 billion or um, $1.3 billion a year by 2040 to meet our green energy um, goals. So um, one, one thing I'll say about uh, all of these different programs is they're interrelated. Small businesses need affordable housing because they need somewhere for their employees to live close to their businesses. Small businesses um, need uh, the city to support them where uh, corporate banks have failed them. And finally, if we're gonna have a San Francisco that goes into the future, we will need clean energy for all of these things. All of these things are interrelated and uh, directly affect um, uh, this commission and, and its members. And so I won't go through every single loan product that our consultants and uh, working group members have recommended. There are quite a few, and I would welcome the commissioners to go through these and really give us your, your insights um, and lived experience so that we can make these plans as actionable as possible when we present them to the Board of Supervisors. Um, and all I'll say about loans, um, and it, it might seem like a novel concept for a city uh, to start an MFC or public bank, but the city actually already issues millions of dollars in loans every single year. The city of San Francisco last year issued millions of dollars of loans and uh, from a variety of sources. Um, one of them being uh, OEWD um, uh, where we're presenting today. Uh, and so while the MFC doesn't seek um, to replicate that good work or even stop those excellent programs from continuing, what we do want is to get this, the information about these loans, put it all in one place to provide transparency to the residents of San Francisco about where public uh, funds are being invested. Second point I'll make about um, all those loan products is an MFC and a public bank will not compete with CDFIs and credit unions. That is not the goal of a public bank or an MFC. Instead, it'll work with these organizations to actually implement those loan products we, we saw today. 
Um, finally, capitalizing a public bank. And what does that mean? It's a fancy word for where will the money come from? Uh, a, a capitalizing a public bank uh, means the initial funding the bank would receive from investors, in this case, it would be the city of San Francisco, to start its operations and serve as a buffer so it can issue loans. Um, and so uh, this is different from funding, and funding is something that goes in after you start a, a public bank or MFC, and that, is, that can be in the form of a loan, for example. Uh, the city of San Francisco could loan a public bank that it owns and then get that money um, back once the bank completes its work. Um, and so the, the working group has discussed a variety of sources, uh, an appropriation from the general fund, the investment pool, uh, local tax revenue, um, philanthropy crowdsourcing, um, and uh, one specific federal fund that I'll, I'll get into in a second. So I'm talking about both the public bank and the MFC, and I'm kind of going back and forth. To clarify, this slide shows the some of the financial models we're proposing for the MFC. That's step one. It can only issue loans, so it can't accept deposits. So all its funding, or sorry, the, the, its initial capitalization will come from the city of San Francisco. And so this is essentially the ask that goes with this plan. It's $20 million um, to capitalize the MFC. And with that $20 million, as you'll see, it will um, have a, net, a positive net income by the end of year three, um, which means it'll be self-sustaining. It can continue its work uh, on its own. So that's $20 million within three years. Obviously, and so what we, why, why $20 million, where did this number come from? We asked our consultants, what's the least we could start with as a city to have this work be successful? And this is, these are the models they presented us with. And to show us, to kind of illustrate for us that this is completely a policy choice for San Francisco, how much we invest um, back into our residents through this uh, MFC public bank model. And so the more, and you'll see model five starts with 20 million. Um, that's 19.75 right there. And so the more we start with, the quicker we can um, have a turnaround of profit. So we also ask them to model $40 million. Um, and then what if we started with $40 million and we got additional funding, $100 million or, or $200 million in, in the following years? And what, what they've shown us is how much more quickly we can turn a profit um, and help the San, uh, residents of San Francisco without relying on those um, harmful practices that uh, corporate banks undertake. Um, and uh, these discussions will continue um, at our upcoming reinvestment working group meetings on April 20th and May 18th, and um, oh, last thing about a potential source of funding. The Inflation Reduction Act um, uh, that passed uh, recently includes a greenhouse reduction fund of approximately $27 billion to be issued by the EPA, the United States Environmental Protection Agency, to local localities like San Francisco to specifically address the issue of green financing and how you need money to turn cities green. And, and so um, a, a San Francisco uh, would be much uh, better positioned to accept this funding if it had an MFC. And specifically under the current EPA guidance, a non-depository, so not a bank, but that step one would be, um, ex uh, could accept funding um, from the EPI uh, to undertake green energy initiatives. And so, last thing I'll leave you with, uh, $20 million, 
uh, uh, can turn a, a profit in three years, helping the residents of San Francisco in the ways they asked for. Um, and there's an opportunity for outside uh, funding um, from the federal government. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Uh, no problem. One more thing. No, I was just going to say on the last slide, we just give you our timeline. Um, so March 31st um, is this the end of this week is the deadline for feedback, um, uh, the first round of feedback on the public draft plan. May 10th is when we're aiming to have our consultants provide us with a final draft for comment. Um, and then on May 18th, we will be hearing in a public hearing that document. Um, and then our goal is to, um, before September, submit the plans to LAFCO and the Board of Supervisors, and our target is actually June. So that gives you a sense of our timeline. So as I mentioned, we're welcome to take your feedback today, but also if you, as you're going through and you're thinking about it, uh, we provided you with Khalid's email address so that you could just email him feedback and it will go to all the working group members. Thank you. And we're here for questions, if you have any questions for us. Great, thank you. Um, commissioners, any questions? Commissioner Ortiz. Thank you for oh, the question. Oh. oh, I thought that was from before, sorry. That's okay, no. sorry. <laughs> Commissioner Herbert. Um, thank you for your presentation. So you mentioned the current climate, the banking crisis, right? And um, Silicon... Silicon Valley Bank. Yes, I think, I believe they got in trouble because they invested in bonds and then the bonds decreased in value and then, oops, so I guess my question for you would be, um, what kind of investments does the MFC make? Where do they get their initial money? Is it all from the government or from the city? So you know, it's, we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about apples and oranges because Silicon Valley Bank is a depository bank with depositors. We're not talking about that in this case. We wouldn't have depositors, but the money to answer your question correct, will come from the city of San Francisco. And we actually have before our um, group a list of potential sources. And as Khalid mentioned, we actually are not required to identify the source, but if we can identify a source, it make the plan even more robust. So, so the bank would make, I'm just asking these very basic Absolutely. questions. Um, so the bank would make, would generate income mm -hmm. By making investments. By making loans. By making loans and collecting <clears throat> on the interest. Correct. Okay. So the, the, the way that the bank becomes self-sustaining in three years is primarily through what will initially be participatory lending. And I'll, I'll give it a shot and then Khalid can correct me if I've misstated it in any way. So the idea is like, the city works with an organization like Main Street Launch to make loans to new entrepreneurs to launch their businesses today, right? So this could be um, the bank, which is providing uh, money, capital, to uh, uh, the uh, Main Street Launch to free up more money for them to lend to entrepreneurs and small businesses. So um, it, it initially is like a banker's bank, a bank to banks, our local credit unions and community institutions, which have that customer relationship. Got it. And then interest rates. 
right. kind of so bouncing th- around? How does that affect your ability to lend money to people that, you know, may not be able to afford to generate enough to get, I don't know, it just is mm-hmm. a challenging time to borrow money. Right? Absolutely. So one of the things that, um, you know, we've been advised and it, we, we looked, we looked to other public banking models because while it's a unique thing right now in California, there are public banks all over the world, right? And there's also one really well-known public bank in the United States, the Bank of North Dakota. So the Bank of North Dakota is a hundred year public bank that has been working with local community financial institutions for many, many years to make loans to community institutions that then help support local uh, business and, and other projects in the state. So one of the interesting things that happened during the pandemic is, I don't know if you remember, but I was, I was banking with Wells Fargo at the time, and all of a sudden, oh crap, you know, Wells Fargo stopped lending on the PPP loans in the first round. The Bank of North Dakota had the highest per capita amount of lending, twice, almost twice as much as California did, because they had that infrastructure in place to put the money through the public bank to get it to the community institutions who worked with the local businesses. So in that first round, North Dakota benefited from uh, basically twice as, almost twice as much money getting to their small businesses in that first round than it happened in California. So the idea is to essentially um, provide that stability. A bank that has um, its purpose of investing in the community and not necessarily like you know the the money that it, that the city has now in reserve can be put into banks that are going uh, overseas or it can go into just any project today, right? Um, anywhere in the world, the idea is to really focus this money locally. And the pro the projects that we're talking about are unmet needs of uh, businesses, affordable housing projects that pencil out and return money at a, at a reasonable interest rate. And it's, so the idea is not to um, like try to compete with um, the existing institutions, but look at the areas that they're really failing to extend credit, such as communities of color, um, affordable housing projects that are completely viable, but maybe aren't as attractive as a new oil pipeline or a factory you know, building widgets. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. How'd I do? Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the the only thing I would add is um, I don't know if we can still go back to the PowerPoint. Yeah, right there. And so, uh, commissioners, uh, for a traditional bank, providing a loan of a million dollars or fifty thousand dollars requires the same amount of investment and work on their end. Not the actual money invested, but the work they have to do to, to you know, you applied for a $50,000 loan, they have to go through all this paperwork. It's the same if it's a million dollars. So for them, there's just a lot of uh, banking business they just don't find to be worth their time, and that's small businesses. That's, that's this list right here. And so um, one of the uh, most asked for, and this is when we did our, our community outreach and survey and focus group work, one of the most asked for products was that, the second line, startup capital. 
provide a, mark, a micro loan between $50,000 and $100,000. That is one of the, uh, most banks don't offer this because it's simply not worth their time. So this is the market that San Francisco, uh, the MFC and Public Bank will seek to fill. And again, like Kristen said, through participation lending, meaning we partner with a CDFI or credit union to actually work with their clients that they already have, and all we do is give them this funding to go and do these specific loans. It's called participation lending, it happens all over. And this is what, what we want to focus and invest in San Francisco, right? Not some stock market, whatever, that could fail. We want to invest in the small businesses that you guys applauded today, help them continue and grow, that we know they're going to succeed, they just need a chance. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I think you somewhat answered the question I had. So you're going to be like our Fed window to the CDFIs and credit unions locally? Um, and that is, uh, the, under the structure of ABA 57, that is what a public bank um, would most likely do. But it can offer its own products if no one else is doing it. So for example, if there's no a checking account, for example, that doesn't charge you for overdraft fees or anything like that, if no one in San Francisco is offering that, a public bank could offer it to just regular folks. But if anyone else is doing it, we have to partner with them first. Uh, so just to, I don't know if that was exactly Yeah, no, no, because, you know, I, I love the list and the presentation because, like, like, the first one here, like, nationally, even CDFIs, there's a big gap from 350 to a million. People don't like touching that yeah. also, right, because it's that, like, uh, but you're not really able to work with Chase yet. You know, exactly. you're in that no man's land where... You're not with CDFIs and you're not with mainstream banks. So I appreciate that. I guess then, so that was a good question answered that you would work with people or programs directly if the need is there. So we could be creative, you know, with CBOs on the ground, partner. And then that's when you would offer direct services. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And then the other one, like for me, like all this is great. I understand banking and you're hitting it. I love it. Like one of the questions is like, when are you guys going to start? Right? Like, like, <laughs> um, but like the cultural competency, I know you're leaving it up to like some of your partners in the CDFIs that are doing the work, but like you, how are you setting the tone in such a diverse city? Like what, what are those core values? So we understand that we are hitting those underserved communities. Um, absolutely. And uh, this is where I would invite you to go through that report. The first um, portion is entirely focused around the failure of corporate banking um, when it comes to communities of color and low-income folks in San Francisco. And what we want is um, uh, to, to uh, absolutely exactly what you said. You know, there's already folks on the ground um, doing work, uh, CDFIs, uh, credit unions. If they, as they're working with their partners, there isn't a loan product that's currently being met, they get to come to the uh, San Francisco Public Bank and propose an idea, right? But, and, but those values that the bank has still override that. It has to be uh, meet racial equity standards, gender equity standards, indigenous rights, all uh, accountability and transparency. And to, to kind of go back to the question about Silicon Valley Bank, a public bank would be under a lot more democratic control and transparency needs. Uh, and so we would be able to see, like the members of the public, just San Francisco, will be able to see what you're investing in. And if you're not investing in the businesses, small businesses that um, you know San Francisco cares about, you'll be that'll be public, and we won't let it go on for years before the bank crashes, uh, and we have to deal with those consequences. So yeah, at, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent, but at all times, the point is to invest and give do banking in a way that's not racist. It doesn't have to be. Right? You can make a profit 
and work with communities of color and low-income folks, as we've seen, there's, there's a huge need. Um, so yeah, absolutely, the, the bank's mission and standards will override all of the loan products that are offered, even through CDFIs and credit unions. Uh, Vice President Zunis. Thank you, and thank you for the presentation. Um, there's so much to talk about. I think our commission can be a really strong ally to this development. We have data, just intake data from our office that can bolster your local, who's starting a small business, who's needing the technical assistance, the financial, um, assistance to get there. Our survey data has some of those easy to grab uh, stats. You can definitely help gear towards the real uh, time needs. Uh, in addition to that, I think my biggest concern, and um, it was definitely around the question of what percentage is potentially direct product and what is what you called participation lending. Um, I'm looking at kind of your breakdown of amount distribution and it looks like affordable housing, green energy, small business support, and then the almost 50% is to the community financial institutions. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have some experience with that landscape and my initial concerns um, with participating with existing financial institutions, existing nonprofit developers, existing partners, right, is they all have limited reach um, where they stand, and it's actually a pretty competitive landscape for these micro-enterprise institutions, these micro-lending institutions, um, where they're getting money from the philanthropic, you know, um, different models that you would also attract to, and they're hungry for clients, and they're not actually, there is a gap that's not being mentioned here, and that gap is small businesses being aware of the funding landscape that exists and being participatory in it. Um, a lot of these CDFIs, you know, now that the racial equity pressure is on for public institutions, I really haven't seen a structural shift. I've seen them create boards, volunteer boards, of people of color, of small businesses. There's lending to women, to people of color, small businesses, but nobody is employed <laughs> with these CDFIs that is, you know, from those communities. Nobody's, uh, not nobody, but, you know, there's a lack of representation with the staff of some of these nonprofit developers. And their community programming continually seems to kind of be a gatekeeping to those communities having that that's, um, kind of participatory, you know, seat. Um, they're still being served. We're not breaking that server-served dichotomy that I think is the intent with the public bank of really mm -hmm. giving the small businesses that first, um, you know, that first-hand approach to, to economic development. So I would like to understand better, like, how, you know, what we're expecting in that type of uh, partnership with these CDFIs. Are they going to be doing the hands-on technical support? Are they going to be doing the outreach? Because I know for a fact their, their client bases are limited. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't trust that um, the kind of 
equity outreach we need to do is gonna just be fulfilled by their by them and their staff. Um, same, honestly, same with like the nonprofit developers. I think there's a lot of existing kind of audits, you know, racial equity audits we need to do of how these developers are functioning. They're buying properties nonstop. Like, how do we make sure that the money we're giving them is going in directly back to, um, you know, their small business tenants, their their um, whatnot, and not just them growing a budget that they don't have to, you know, balance because they're nonprofits, right? So, um, yeah, that's my big concern is is how do we just not put money into a system that already has a lot of mm -hmm. uh, inequities? Um, yeah, that's that's my biggest. That's terrific feedback, and if it's okay, I would respond just briefly. Yeah. We, we in our focus groups, interviewed those community institutions, and they flagged their you know, gaps in reach to us. And so that was actually in the report as a recommendation mm -hmm. that this institution can help with that outreach, that can use the data that you're talking about, new businesses coming to City Hall and connecting, right? <clears throat> the other thing I was just gonna say is um, the idea about starting with an MFC that has a high amount in participation lending is so that we can demonstrate that profitability um, quickly so that we can apply for the public bank um, status with the regulators. And one of the safest and fastest ways to demonstrate uh, disciplined use of the fin finances mm -hmm. is to, to buy up existing loans that are performing to, to do that. And so the, uh, the shift over time as the institution is created and has a track record would shift to more direct over time. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, sorry. Yeah. One of the main things that came out of the, the technical assistance, uh, I'm sorry, the, the community outreach process was the need for technical assistance to actually navigate the city loan atmosphere landscape. Yeah. Um, basically, you have to be an expert in city government to even know where to apply and then what to do and the timeline. And so that to the point where some of the, um, the CDFIs and credit unions, uh, I believe you're mentioning, spend most of their time just like helping people like handhold, walk you from where you are now to where you need to be in the right office and the right department. And the MFC would help curtail that because there'd be a single place to go for this information. Again, we're not going to stop programs that already exist and are succeeding. We're not here to take funding and staff from other departments. But the point is there needs to be a single place to go for all of this information, uh, be it an MOACD loan, an OEWD loan, et cetera. Um, so that is one of the recommendations being sent up to the Board of Supervisors from the working group, which is, for an MFC to succeed, you need a technical assistance budget to go with it to actually help small businesses and uh, affordable housing um, uh, folks, people interested in affordable housing, to actually navigate the processes you currently have. What uh, the other um, question? How? Why? You know, let's not uh, give more money into the system that's already failing us, and that's. The, uh, Kristen, that's what the the participation lending process work that Kristen was talking about. This is not an attempt to give away $20 million from the city. It's an attempt to start a bank, a bank for the people of San Francisco that invest in the San Francisco community. At the end of the day, this institution still needs to turn a profit. 
So how do we do that and accomplish our anti-racist goal and not contribute to the current corporate banking um, crisis? And that's through, um, sorry, um, our, the, the values that the institution has and the uh, governance structure that we're gonna employ. Those folks, the Banking Oversight Commission isn't gonna be a group of bankers. It's gonna be residents of San Francisco who know what's actually going on, who work in some of these institutions you're mentioning, um, and know that there's a need, uh, um, and know what needs are, <laughs> what, uh, San what needs San Francisco needs the most. I'm sorry, I'm uh, losing that sentence. Um, so at, at, at all points, what, um, the difference between what's currently happening and an MFC is more public accountability, more transparency, and more democracy uh, in the banking world, uh, specifically the one in San Francisco that caters to uh, small businesses. And then um, the, the other question, and, and I, this is uh, really exciting that you asked this question because this is currently what the working group is actually debating. Uh, not debating, but one of the policy choices they're considering is, one, given the, the need for, for this institution to turn a profit within three years, should we only do participation lending? Essentially work with um, CDFIs and credit unions, because like Kristen said, that um, is, it makes it easier to turn a profit within three years. If we do participation lending, uh, or if we don't, what, which of the loan products uh, of the many loan products proposed do we choose to start with? Because we can't, with $20 million, we can give $21 million loans, right? Uh, that hasn't even taken into account all the costs of running the organization uh, and the new um, entity. So what, what, where do we invest first to be able to show res like fiscal responsibility within three years that we did turn that profit? <laughs> and um, so that, those are the other considerations to take into account. And then the final consideration policy question that's up before the working group right now is um, how should they break down the investment? I think you pointed at the numbers, 40% to CDFIs. That's, that's participation lending. I can't show, okay. Um, sorry, I have like a spreadsheet I wanted to show you guys. That was silly. Uh, so right now, the current policy numbers are um, um, th that participation lending, it's 40%, and this is, this is up for, for um, um, change. Small business support, 40%, green energy, 10%, affordable housing, 10%. And all of that is based off of the likelihood of turning a profit by investing these percentages of that $20 million in year one, okay? Now, if we make it 100% participation lending, we'll still be investing only in small businesses, green energy, and affordable housing, but we'll be doing it through our partners and having them um, either create these loan products we have or pick ones that they have that are very similar. But okay. all that being said, please give us all the feedback you have, um, especially about these, these, this specific uh, issue. Uh, I think that you guys have um, a lot of expertise that we would benefit from. Thank you. I'll just say one more thing before I uh, pass it to the director. Uh, I think it's important to note that you're, yes, you have identified the small business need number one, technical assistance, right? But a lot of the CDFIs, they actually export their technical assistance. It's not, an, it's not a lot of time internal staff mechanism. They're using volunteer, they're using volunteers within the network to do this work. It's, um, or you know, they're, 
they have some kind of contractual relationship. It's, it, it's, it's not a reliable system as it exists right now. And small the reason why they don't have a lot of clients is because small businesses need culturally relevant assistance. Mm. And they need somebody who they trust and who's been in the community <clears throat> and can speak their language metaphorically, literally, you know, um, in, in helping fill out these applications and, and getting them prepared. So it's that I think can't be overlooked as, as a crucial part of our equity piece in, in capital access. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much for that. Thank you very much, Vice President. Um, Director Tang. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, I haven't been following this as much in the state, but just wondering uh, what that discussion has been like in terms of a state public bank versus, say, a local one in San Francisco. Um, so the state has commissioned a study on um, opening its own bank, specifically um, focused around the unbanked population of California, which, depending on the study, is anywhere between 15 and 30 percent of California right now. And so uh, that, once that, that state-level commission finishes its work, they'll make a recommendation to the governor, um, but that's still a few years away from um, happening. If, that do, if California does make its own California state public bank, then this MFC or public bank could partner with that um, organization to further um, its work specifically for San Francisco. Anything else, Director Tang? Okay. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I, I saw 25 commissioners. Is that right? That's one of the proposals for the final public bank. This is like three years out. We, we're, we've shown on paper that we can run a, a reliable um, lending corporation, and now we want to expand to include more folks from San Francisco and, and add more expertise to the, to, the, to the work. So at that point, yes, 25 commissioners. Is that like something like we developed here, you guys develop, or it's like a banking thing? Okay. Yeah, so we, we, it definitely comes from other public bank models, um, and I'm going to forget uh, which one has this specific model with the 25. It's uh, the Costa Rican Banco Popular. The Costa Rica Rican Bank, Banco Popular. Um, but one of the things that we were thinking about in governance is anti-corruption measures. And so we're thinking about having um, a, 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 a larger number of people coming at different points in time so that um, if they're being appointed by elected officials, there will be um, not the ability to stack the deck in one go, right? And so the idea is to, tr it, 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 as, a, as an anti-corruption measure, is to ensure that there are a diversity of elected officials we've been talking about the mayor and the supervisors, but we've talked about adding other elected officials as well, um, and then have um, those terms staggered so that um, there couldn't be a, a, a new regime that would come in and, and overturn, uh, say, more than a quarter of the seats at any point in time. I like that. And then, um, ideally, if everything goes well, when would you see this in operation, like live, really? So the exciting thing about the MFC is that there's no regulatory approval other than our own government's will. So the um, Board of Supervisors could authorize the creation of an MSC tomorrow if they wanted to. 
Um, it uh, basically, uh, to get to the public bank, we're looking at a three-year timeline to prove through the MFC our uh, financial viability to then apply to become a bank. And lastly, how can we help here at this commission? How can we be your allies? So I think ultimately we know that at some point this will go to the voters and you have already given us the uh, ability to try to test our talking points and, and understand what questions people are going to have about what this is, but is to help just spread the word about it, that it's in the process of being developed. Right now the ask is to provide us with feedback on, you know, is this uh, look like the bank that you want to see serving San Francisco? Thank you. Thank you. Um, did you have anything else, Commissioner? Okay. Okay. So I, I only have one question. Um, you know, given some of our um, our departments and you know thing things happening already in the city, the bureaucracy that we have already, mm -hmm. how do you envision like? You know, I I can imagine that. Um, you know, you talked about things being able to kind of like move more efficiently, be more, um, you know, um, just just moving more efficiently, let's say. How do you envision that happening within the current bureaucratic system that we have right now in San Francisco? So uh, this will be an independent institution that will operate independent. So it basically, the MFC initially is um, staffed by people mm -hmm. that the city hires, yeah. and then once it is on its own, it is basically doing its own hiring, right? Right, absolutely. So, um, the MF, well, again, we're, we're modeling the MFC on what we want a public bank to look like, and a public bank has to be an independent corporation that the city owns, but does not um, control with the exception of what we, you know, the governance structure we looked at. So basically um, it would be, you, the city of San Francisco would create a, a public benefit corporation that it, it's the sole owner of. We have some, the city already owns a few corporations for doing regular uh, business. And so we have some models of what that would look like. And essentially we would give, you know, we would create this organization or the board would um, that meets, that has all these missions and principles, and those folks, that staff, the MFC or public bank staff, they run it, right? And, and they have that commission that, that oversees them. Um, but it wouldn't, basically the mayor or the board wouldn't be able to just change things at the public bank whenever they wanted, and that's what Christian was referring to. Even if they wanted to pull back the commissioners they staffed on the bank oversight commission, there'd be a limit, there'd be uh, staggered terms of how much that can be done um, in any given year um, or time period. And again, that's to meet the, the FDIC, uh, that's the uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the CDFPI, that's the California Department of uh, Protection, uh, Consumer Protection and Innovation. And those are the two regulatory agencies that would have to authorize a public bank for it to, to exist. And so there'd be that level of oversight as well. And like, how much does it cost to create a public bank? Like this is, you know, I think the numbers so far are kind of like what you would start with in order to get it going, but like literally to like staff, you know, get the infrastructure going, things like that. Right, and so the goal would be to do is literal, like we're, we don't wanna build a new building and we, we don't wanna like hire a 20 uh, new staff the day we start. So it would build up 
Our estimate for the MFC, that step one, is around $600,000 to start it up, that year one. Uh, realistically, given these kinds of processes, about a, a 1.2 million, you just double it, and that's where you're gonna, that's gonna end up being. And so, uh, yeah, so six, let's just say $600,000 to get it started, um, and then $20 million to capitalize it, that, to give it money to start its work. For a public bank, um, it's likely a little bit more uh, to get it started, like that initial startup cost, and then it would take 50 million to, to capitalize it, to get it going. Now that's assuming tomorrow San Francisco wants to just go step one public bank uh, and skip that MFC, that first step. And the reason it would need to be so much more, $50 million, is to meet the requirements of the FDIC. They want new banks to, to be super capitalized, which means having more than $30 million to start out with. Is that a possibility to just skip the MFC? It is absolutely within the board's um, discretion to do so. However, it would require hiring um, an individual, like essentially a CEO of the public bank to start managing the application process of the FDIC. So that would be weird in the city context, not impossible, but a little bit, um, we'd have to hire someone for a department that, no, that does not yet exist uh, to go get it started and approved and then run it once it starts. Um, that is like the best model for starting a bank, but um, the details of how to work that out in San Francisco in a public you know, um, public agency uh, is still uh, worked out and would have to um, probably ask the city attorney's office as to how to do that specifically. Um, Commissioner Carter. This is very exciting. I've been hearing about it, so to hear the actual presentation is, is great. Um, I'm curious how can the public and community-based organizations follow um, what you guys are doing and, and get involved? Um, absolutely, so we have a, a webpage, the San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group. If you just Google that, it'll just take you right to us. Uh, and then there's a lot of resources on our webpage uh, if you wanna read about public banking in general and then and our, our agendas are very robust uh, with a lot of information. So for example, the agenda for the April 20th meeting has the, the 68 page plan attached to it that you guys are looking at right now. Um, and so there's a lot of information in those agendas. And if you have anything specific you would like to ask, I'm always available, um, call it Samurai. Thank you. Uh, Vice President Zuzunas. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak again. I guess kind of the elephant in the room would and what you guys aren't totally able to disclose yet you said is how that money would be generated by the city um, so you're that's I assume the part that would go before a public uh, electoral an elect a vote of the public so it's actually the likely so the <laughs> sorry there's just so much um, okay so uh, under the current San Francisco Charter only the mayor can appoint people to a commission with limited exceptions and so some of the governance models being discussed um, create a, a bank oversight or MFC oversight commission that isn't purely appointed by the mayor and again that's for the the regulatory um, concerns they want to be shielded this organization to be shielded from the regular political process to the extent possible and again, those are the term limits and staggered uh, terms that Kristen just mentioned. So if we were to, if the working group was to recommend that model to the board that not only the mayor would select oversight commissioners and the board of supervisors approve that plan, 
then we would likely need a charter amendment to allow the Bank Oversight Commission to have its members be selected by other elected officials, not just the mayor. So for one of the models being looked at is the mayor gets some, some appointments, the controller gets some, treasurer, city attorney, basically every elected official um, gets some appointments. Um, so that would require us to go to the voters. Um, okay, yeah. sorry, thank you for the explanation of the governance. I actually was specifically asking about the money that is going oh, to be generated I'm, and if we're asking the public potentially to vote on a sales tax increase, if it's gonna be a property tax increase, what what do we have to prepare our economy for, uh, for this type of project and-, and uh, not gonna be a sales tax. Okay, okay. <laughs> so um, I think we alluded to one potential source yeah. of funding, which is the green financing funding that is available, um, but we actually have a number of other potential sources um, that we are looking at. And it could be from the general fund, it could be from um, the investment fund. So uh, San Francisco at any given point has um, over a billion dollars in liquid reserves that are basically uh, being held at other banking institutions. And so, you know, one of the uh, experts that we've had is from the budget legislative analyst, and they've done a detailed analysis of if we wanted to use the investment pool, what would that look like? And it would be an appropriation uh, by the uh, uh, Board of Supervisors from that pool. But you know, we've also even considered the crowdsourcing model, so like the Green Bay Packers model, we could potentially do you, you know what the Green Bay Packer model is? I know they're the only publicly owned team. Right? Exactly. So basically, you could um, potentially crowdsource shares, like, like you and I could buy a share in San Francisco sure. Public Bank. So uh -huh. we're uh, uh -huh. we haven't uh, eliminated any of the potential options at this stage, and we're seeking feedback. So if you like any of those potential sources more than others, let us know. Thank you that, yeah. for that clarity. Thank you. Um, so, sorry, just to clarify, the, the treasurer's pooled investment fund can only be used for a public bank, because that's allowed under state law. It was part of ABA 57. It can't be used, like the treasurer can't invest in MFC, because that's uh, not listed um, under the acceptable investments of a, uh, the investment pool. Um, but it, you, the, the board of supervisors can take money from the general fund surplus investment pool through an, uh, the appropriation process. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you, I think I did misspeak. Yeah. yeah. Great, thank you. Um, sorry, thank That's you great. very much. Yeah, we, we took a lot of your time. Thank you so much. No, no, no. Um, actually, we have to take um, public comment first, if okay, you don't great. mind. Um, let's see, I just wanna make sure no, no other questions up here. Okay, um, now we'll open it up for public comment. Um, any public commenters in the room? Um, any commenters on the line? There are none. Great. Um, and hearing no further comments, um, public comment is closed. And thank you so much for your presentation today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, next item, please. Item four, small business survey results, discussion of recommendations. This is a discussion item. The Commission will review and discuss draft policy recommendations based on the recent small business survey results. 
Great. So um, I think today I'll be presenting um, on the draft survey or on the survey. And um, based off of the results of the survey, we have some um, draft findings and policy recommendations. I'm wondering if it would be easier to for me to kind of start with one and then we kind of take some comment and then um, and then we'll just kind of move into the next ones. Um, let's see. So from the survey, I think one of the um, one of the things highlighted was that people wanted better information about tax credits and needed application assistance. So things specifically like the employee retention tax credit were challenging for small businesses to access. And um, so we have here a recommendation to draw down federal employee retention tax credits. Um, communication campaigns can encourage small business owners to take advantage of available credits and provide direction on how to, how to begin the process, potentially drawing down significant federal dollars into the local economy. And I had some thoughts about that, but I wanted to open it up for um, Commissioner comment before I, I go into my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> maybe I should have. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> continue. Well, I, I felt like the, the gaps for the employee retention tax credit, the ERTC, was really that, um, you know, obviously many people didn't know how to access this. They didn't know who to go to. We didn't really have resources. The city cannot make re recommendations on who to go to to um, help them get, get these. And I think there, there could be better more targeted outreach to our merchants associations and community corridors for them to be able to find resources within their own neighborhoods who can then be a, a trusted resource within. And then um, asking perhaps larger entities like um, Council of District Merchants or other people who have capacity to be able to do a, a maybe more regional kind of like glimpse as to like who, who can provide help. Um, just because I feel like this is one of these things where it's so big and um, that they, I think small business owners had a hard time trusting that this was really available and trusting the process. So, And there was so much that you had to put in that application, a lot of information. But it's also, I think we talked about it last time we, we were meeting, it was... Um, it wasn't just the help, it was also how much money they were asking to just do, just to submit the information. So I know I went from, you know, one company was saying 40% of what the, you know, ERC credit would be. And then, you know, then finally finding someone who, you know, would do it for about 20%. I think it was, it, the process is actually overwhelming. I went when I went through the process, I was overwhelmed with it. It actually took me time out of work to get it done. Now, is it worth it? Of course. I mean, more money to go into the business. Of course, it's worth it. But I do believe that there was definitely there's an easier there has to be an easier process. And then I think I have a question. You all may know because I'm I, I don't think I'm aware because there's still I'm trying to. I mean, I now have a point of contact that for people that I'm in relationship with, I have actually a name and number 
that I'm sending out to the people that I know. It's like, hey, Chris does this. She, you know, she's making life easier for everyone who needs to do it. But isn't there a time? Uh, um, isn't there a time frame in which you can still? Um, I mean, it's isn't it running out? Where the you know, like, because I, I know I, I when I did mine, I lost a quarter, and then I was they, I kept hearing, well, if you don't earn it between between this next time, you're going to lose another quarter. You're going to lose another quarter. So, I mean, time is of the essence. Now, as opposed, you know, if if we're going to do it, I, I mean, the system that we're wanting to create for this, aren't we working against time at this point? I think, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I want to I want to add to like what Commissioner Diggers has said. All that, and and for me, I also found. Um, Accountants and bookkeepers, they're like your doctor, right? It's real intimate. They know you probably better than your spouse sometimes. And I face just a ton of CPAs or accountants in my community that just, they didn't want to do it, couldn't do it, didn't want to learn how to do it. So when you're interacting with businesses, it's like telling somebody the doctor's wrong. And that's that's a hard sell, right? And a lot of the businesses, you know, we work with in community, it was that. So just kind of like in the restaurant revitalization fund, some of our CPAs, not some, a lot of our CPAs and our bookkeepers didn't have the data to apply for this grant on time. I think it's some, in our small business community, they use a lot of small business CPAs and bookkeepers that it's kind of like HR, right? If you don't, it's a constant, you got to keep learning, right? And I think some of our smaller businesses go to smaller CPAs and again it's like telling don't listen to your doctor I know more than your doctor mm -hmm. that's a hard sell right and on top it's super confusing right I I, I saw them when they were doing one of my companies and I was like whoa yeah I'm not doing that <laughs> 941 <laughs> form what you want me to what yeah um, but I think I mean what what you were saying about um, you know personal experience, at first I was very reserved because I didn't feel comfortable with all of that online. Everything was online. And then when I was talking to someone, they, they sounded like a total salesperson. So then me, the way that I am, I'm doing research on the company. I'm like, oh, let me see how long they've been, you know. It's like ERC specials. How are you a specialist? This just happened <laughs> like three years. You know, it's like it ain't been that long. How are you a specialist? And so I'm asking all of these questions. but. I couldn't find not one CPA. I couldn't find one to do it. So when I so finally, fortunately, um, uh, um, um, someone who I'd known for years uh, got into it, um, and she's now a part of it, a, a part of the ERC specialist company. But she's, I mean, she's really good. She's quick and she's fast. And I think that was important. Is like if we could have a company or someone who can do it, and this particular company is doing it now. So the ERC specialist, the only thing is everyone's like, 20%. But it is a lot. <laughs> but if they don't do right, you can't get but a you CPA get the 80%. You can't, say again? I mean, you get, the, you get the remaining. You get the 80% and they're charging 20% yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically the, the choice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think they're definitely, this is like something I feel like is so typical of so many things that are offered, right? It's like there's money on the table, but nobody knows how to access it. And there's like these gaps that are really based from trust and, and like, you're right, the, the accountants in our midst are also small businesses. So they had to make a choice of whether they were going to put in the time and the effort to be able to like figure it out. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I put it, you know, we have it out here as a recommendation. I think um, my hope was that some of our organizations like in the community would come together to be able to draw, you know, at least like put together like a recommendation list. I don't know if the city, I don't know if I have any recommendations for the city to be able to help with that. Well, I referred a lot to, and it turned out pretty good. Everybody got paid. And back then Where? it was like Chamber of Commerce? the SF Chamber of Commerce. Oh. And I just referred people to the website. I, I never refer anybody to things like this, right? Because it's like a doctor, right? Okay. Um, but I've had a huge success rate. And their, and their percentage, back then it was like 10, 15%. Now that's getting, you know, crunch time. It might get higher. but And, and to the time... This quarter and the next quarter, these are the crucial ones because these are the ones when businesses were shut down. This is the big payday. Right. After that, you know, it mm -hmm. kind of decreases dramatically. Mm. Okay. Can I, can I just ask? Sure. Um, maybe instead of thinking about this as like a recommendation about how to specifically get the ER, ERTC credit, is there like a broader recommendation that would help small businesses get credits in general like is that is that sort of like bigger cpa connection like a gap for small businesses maybe like taking one more step out and saying like what is is there really like a disconnect between where small businesses get this kind of help and is there any opportunity in there to improve that would be another way of, of thinking about this mm -hmm. that's helpful that's super helpful framing um commissioner carter Yeah, I think you guys pretty much answered my question. I'm just wondering how we can, um, as a commission, maybe work with the chamber to get that information out to um, small, to CBOs that's actually helping um, entrepreneurs. Because I know, like, even for me, like, it was super, like, I haven't even done it yet. And now my, my accountant is saying she could do it. And now I'm like, can she do it? <laughs> So, like, and she's like, yeah, and I'm like, she said that too easy, so <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, if anything we can do to, to support, like, the community organizations and getting that information to them, whether it's from the Chamber of Commerce or whoever is actually doing the work, because I know, like, for a lot of um, black-owned businesses, a lot of them started during covid I'm not sure, like, how many actually qualify, but the ones that do should definitely have that information and not be so intimidated by it because you got people calling saying that they can sign you up for it, and mm -hmm. it's just like, I mean, for me, I didn't do it because I'm just like, think they're all scams. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 
Commissioner Herbert? Well, I, I think a list with the Chamber of Commerce would be great. Is that, does that, were you saying that already exists or it does? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a trusted source. Yeah. Because I got a recommendation of some guy in Palm Springs, and then I talked to him, <laughs> and, then, and I, I ended up answering a cold call, and that those were the people that we went with, and I was sort of like, "Who are you?" Like, you know, and I, we like, yeah. Well, because of Sharky, he was like, "Get this ERC money, da da da." I was like, "Well, let me look into that." Wow. I know. You know. And um, it worked out pretty well, but and it was legit and all that, but it took a few different tries, and it would have been great to have like a trusted person, you mm -hmm. know, or company. Yeah, totally. Are we able to connect with the Chamber Yeah. And also, just remember, like around PPP, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but around PPP, um, in our communities, there was a lot of fraud from people in our community, so now everybody's spooked. Because now everybody's doing time, right? And it's like, oh, this is another acronym, another, you know, alphabet's out there and there's money. I don't know about this. Like, so just in context of cultural relevance. It's true. That's true. Paul. That's true. Is it Commissioner Carter or? Oh, okay. Director Tang. Well, thank you all for the feedback. It's really helpful. Um, you know, we did reach out to uh, Congresswoman Pelosi's office also just to inquire on how we can partner on this effort. But I think the feedback you're all sharing with us, we'd love to get to them as well so that they can think about how they might want to structure some of these um, future um, tax credit programs. Um, you're right that we aren't allowed to, as a city and county of San Francisco, recommend any particular firms um, to assist you with this credit. That's where we feel very stuck. But Absolutely. Um, I have seen actually early on the Chamber of Commerce had a list of, I think, three CPAs that they um, shared with, you know, in their newsletter and it's on their website. So you can um, uh, peruse that information. Of course, I think back then it was, you know, it seems like it was really expensive, but as channeling our former president, Sharky Laguana, he'll say, well, 20% of something is better than 0% of nothing, right? So, um, so there is that resource. I also want to share that our Small Business Development Center, which is under our office, um, they do have folks who can help you understand what documents you need to prepare to file. So what documents do you need to get to a CPA or a law firm or whatever else you decide to use. So just want to make sure you're aware of that resource, just again, to know what you need to put together yourself first. Mm -hmm. um, but in any case, we will continue to work on this issue. Um, we certainly recognize there is a um, kind of a gap in service here. Um, and, and meanwhile, the federal government is wondering why these funds have not been completely, you know, tapped into. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, maybe we can continue to think a little bit more about what um, Secretary Bernbach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like <laughs> it took a lot of energy for me to try to get it right. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we should we should spend some time thinking about what Carrie's recommended in terms of like what are some of the bigger things that we can do, um, or like looking at it because um, this is not going to be the the last time that this happens, right? This is something that's like a chronic issue is that we're not able to tap into um, resources available. So, okay, I'm going to um, move on to the next piece. Um, 
Do you do you all see the draft findings too in your in your things? Okay. So assistance finding and hiring employees, that was a challenge for small businesses according to our survey, which I think all of us also know firsthand. Um, you know, and the recommendation here is that we utilize the city's workforce development department. And the city's workforce development department really trains and connects residents with career growth opportunities. I think many of us have experience with like, um, you know, different um, age groups that they've worked on training and different types of programs. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to put that out there. Like how, I don't know. How I don't even know how to frame a correct question for this. I guess another way of thinking about this would be are, are there other ways that we could help in finding and hiring employees for small businesses, like not mm -hmm. just within workforce, but are there are there things we're missing? Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I, I think for this in particular, um, using the resources we already had, like OEWD's Josh Director Josh Arce, he does amazing work around this. He's in community. He's at like the resource hubs and the mission. He does these like pop-up events like employers and employees and they're successful because he collaborates with CBOs like I mean it really works like I, I just think I think we just need to apply more resources so like the stuff that does work just continues and and you know with inflation and them raising interest rates and all these tech companies cutting jobs I already see the pressure the the compression and the job force if you could see by the police academy last academy was eight and I think now it's raised to like a hundred or something, right? So it's trickling down. So that workforce is is coming, you know. So hopefully it gets better. It gets alleviated. But um, yeah, OEWD. I know that's in our department, right? Like, I'm not trying to have a bias, but they actually do a pretty good job, like a very good job. Mm -hmm. So. Definitely. Um, one of the things that I thought was really helpful, and hopefully they're, I think they're still content continuing as kind of like sector-based hiring um, fairs and things like that. And um, maybe we can kind of give some thought as to how we can do structure like small business hiring fairs that might be helpful, like either neighborhood-based, because I feel like for us, especially in the Richmond district, it's such a quadrant of the city. It's really hard for us to like, you know, I mean, we do have employees that, that travel, you know, via BART and from other places in the Bay Area, but it is much easier to try to get people in our small businesses who actually live in the neighborhood. Um, so I don't know, maybe we can kind of give some feedback to to more neighborhood-based um, hiring fairs at community centers and things like that, as well as like having those opportunities um, for other organizations to table, right? Like it would be great to have kind of the educational like after-school programs also there so that there's kind of like a a longer pipeline it's not just come and get a job but kind of like how do you get the steps into training and I feel like a lot of our small businesses are also very um, interested in training people like I mean we have so many businesses that are so community-minded I think like the um, Bernie's uh, dog grooming today was like a perfect example of that um, Director Tang 
Um, thank you. So just, um, you know, this last year when we heard about uh, the issue with um, finding and hiring employees, we started to dig more into the issue and learn more about our sister division over at um, Workforce um, to understand what it is that they offer. So actually, um, and we can share this resource out with all of you, but there is a good list online of all the job centers within neighborhoods so that um, people can go just, again, within their neighborhoods and trusted organizations to look for jobs or to post jobs. Um, we are also partnering with the workforce division for a hiring fair at the Ferry Building um, in April. So it's right around the corner and we have invited a few businesses that have been struggling to look for, um, str struggling to hire employees, so they're, they're welcome to come. Your, all businesses are also welcome to put out information um, at that fair, but also their existing um, resources. Everyone needs to sign up for Workforce Link anyway to participate in these job fairs. So we do, um, again, we can share these resources out with all of you, but as long as you as an employer register on Workforce Link, then you're gonna you know, be accessed by hundreds of thousands of people going through the Workforce Development Division. So um, I think part of it was us learning about these resources, even within our own department, and then making sure you're aware of that as well. So we'll, we'll circle back with this commission so that you have those available too. Great. Um, Commissioner Herbert. Well, I'm kind of biased, but it would be great to have, you know, it, it be um, conducted by industry, like restaurants, for example. What's that? You're with me? You okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, we need was to not informed. <laughs> we need okay. to amplify that. that. <laughs> um, the Workforce Division is actually coming to our next commission meeting, I believe. Okay. So we can further this conversation with them. Perfect. Commissioner Carter? Yeah, I just want to kind of piggyback off of um, President Huey and saying, you know, creating pipelines. So maybe collabing with daycares or like schools. Um, I know like some of my employees, their their kids go to like the schools nearby a block away and it never really helps. Mm -hmm. So if we can think of, of um, partners in a job fair outside of workforce, but maybe housing, daycare, things like that. I think that's a really good idea. Um, Commissioner Ortiz. Um, jobs now, we have jobs now in the city <laughs> where like they supplement. I mean, it's a, it's a good program. I used it years ago and I got reimbursed and it helped me offset, you know, that, that when you're onboarding people, you know, and they do reimburse you. I think it's like 25 bucks. I don't know what it is now, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it was substantial at the time for me. I had two employees, and they would reimburse me, I think, for three or six months. And back then, like, this was over a decade. For me, that was, like, that was a lot, right? So that that's a program. And also, um, I was thinking also going to the schools. You know, like, we really, you know, advocate college, and sometimes that's not the thing, right? Like mm -hmm. the trades and just, hey, go shop at a local. You might end up, look at these success stories. A lot of these legacy business, they end up selling the business to their tenured employees, mm -hmm. right? And you can't get more financially independent than that. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, maybe we create some app or a bot. So instead of them going to gig working, we get them at the entrance. No more Uber, no more gig working. Come work in mm -hmm. real life, not from home. Mm -hmm. That's a joke. No, 
Vice President Zunas. <clears throat> yeah, I love the brainstorming that's going on. I think the city has, as Commissioner Ortiz Cortana mentioned, the wage subsidy program. Um, I know a lot of the, the job fairs now are geared towards bigger industry um, employers. So I think my, how to bolster this recommendation from, from our view is some of the funding that's going to the neighborhood merchant groups like Avenue Green Line and those s sorts of streams, I know they've been focused very heavily on aesthetic and, and um, corridor um, activations, but we need to empower neighborhood employers to, to have, yeah, like you said, neighborhood-based resource fairs, and um, it's, it's disappointing that that type of work isn't being funded by our economic development funding right now. Um, so I think merchants themselves, if they're empowered to have some, you know, infrastructure and funding support to convene and um, network within their own neighborhoods, I think that infrastructure would be a recommendation that we could make um, and to get it to some of the micro businesses. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think the wage subsidy program is such a precedent. Like, I really feel like I want to learn more about how the city is able to private, kind of subsidize a private em employee contract, you know, because this is the question of, well, what else can we do for small business workers, right? And this is always what we come to up against big, big union, you know, uh, <laughs> campaigns where, you know, they're asking big employers to provide benefits. So if the city is providing some kind of support to small businesses for their workers, maybe this recommendation trails into the healthcare security ordinance. Maybe we can actually come up with another incentive product that the city can offer um, to help small businesses you know, have a better place of work for their employees. And I would love to, to investigate, you know, how can the city, what other tools could we develop to help small business workers get the full benefits of wanting to stay at a small business? That's kind of just big picture question. I, I think uh, jumping into that conversation, like I, and uh, piggybacking off of what you said earlier was, is um, always on my mind, kind of like how do we collectively make San Francisco a better place to not only do business but to work and to thrive, right? Like a lot of the people that we employ live in, you know, they may live in the city, um, but they could really benefit from things like childcare nearby. They could really benefit from um, financial education, right? Like how to be just financially like literate and um, because I feel like a lot of times as an employer, you know, you're, you're dealing with um, sometimes people's life crises, right? Like people, when, like when you're living in San Francisco and you're trying to make it, you know, these are really big things. And they, they are disruptive to our day, but really they're very disruptive to their lives. And if we could help 
mentor them to be on a better path. I feel like that would be, you know, to me, I always feel like that would be such a gift. Like you don't have to work for me forever, but like the time that you're here, let's make this the most awesome time ever, right? And so, um, and also housing, like you said. Like it would be great to be able to offer housing. And, and how about um, parking too? Parking would be great. Or transportation. <laughs> I know, I went too far. I'm sorry, no, I pushed the it. Parking was, the parking was a real wreck we've made before. I mean, I know, I'm going, I'm going too far. But I want it all. I want it all. And I. <laughs> or, you know, transportation, subsidized transportation, whatever it may be. Whatever mode of transportation, let's support it. <laughs> um, but I think this, so what I'm hearing is really that we want to expand this conversation to not just hiring, but to how do we support the lives of people who work in the city. And one of the things that I was thinking also was like, you know, we have these shop local campaigns. Like, what if we have like a work in San Francisco campaign? Like, these are the wonderful things about working within our community corridors, right? Like, I know for, for me, when I hired um, college students, this was like the place for them to make friends. People, their friends come in, everybody says hi to them. They start to feel a part of this community. And that's like such a cool thing to show somebody when they're like 19. Um, so I think there are a lot of benefits of being in a community. And I think this, you know, we could probably come together with some really awesome campaign. I mean, but, yeah. You know the ideal, I mean, just saying what you're, listening to what you're saying, what if, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> what if there was some type of, like, register of people who have available places say, hey, I would love to be a part of this. Um, housing San Francisco residents, whatever. It, that's, that comes out of a, a, I had a unique situation with me. I had, a, I had a client who had an apartment available and my employee needed it. So I inquired and he was like, oh, that'd be great. Cause he felt like he was then supporting my business by housing my employee. And then I had another tenant who did the same thing for another employee and then and then I had a situation where I had an apartment and I didn't know my employee needed housing. So, I mean, it, so, you know, it's kind of like just maybe, a, I don't know, if I, was a t if I knew that there was a registration or something there where people, you know, you, you were like, I'd love to have somebody, because that's automatic long-term. If you could house somebody who's living in the same city nearby, convenient, doesn't that equate to a long-term resident? Just do it, you know. Because mm -hmm. so far, I mean, all my employees live within a one point one one mile radius. So I mean, it's it's been great for me. I don't have to worry about my employees because they live really close. So I'm just thinking, I don't know. Just do that out there. Maybe you know, do something. Yes, I encourage us all to to dream big. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Commissioner Carter. I'm wondering, like, is, is there any um, 
housing preference when MOH MOHCD for like employees that live in certain neighborhoods? There are different preferences, but not for employees. Yeah, I think, I don't know if that's something we could think about. Yeah, I know it's a long list of preferences, but I, I just think that's like how we build community. Like, you know, people wanna live and work and I know, like, for me, most of my adult life, I had to commute. And, like, a lot of people still have to um, commute. And for small businesses, like, we need people that's local, that's, like, close. <laughs> like, I love that some of my employees live in the Tenderloin and kids go, you know, like, they go home and help their families and come back five minutes, you know, like, stuff like that. So... Yeah, I don't know if that's something we can run by MOHCD. I'm sure they got like a million preferences that is crazy, but. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, let's see, I'll move on to the next piece. Um, invest in safer and cleaner streets. So um, this obviously came up quite a bit um, in our survey. So recommendations here are, I think, several. There's one um, to implement police foot bike patrols. I think that was um, noted by about 77% of businesses thought that that would have a very positive or positive impact. Um, second was developing small business directories. Um, helping, I think, associ merchants associations or community associations develop small business directories where people know um, where they can direct uh, questions or concerns, meaning like to the police department um, or other city agencies. Thirdly, um, expanding community ambassador programs. And um, yeah, so there's some work already like around some of these, but I wanted to open that up to see um, where this conversation can go. So um, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I just want to really highlight this kind of segues into what we were talking about, employment. I'm not going to name the small businesses, but in the mission, it's like, remember Charles Bronson, the movies? I mm -hmm. put it as homework for somebody to ask their dad. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's chaotic. It's chaotic. And um, a lot of businesses, they actually do get employees, and they're younger. But the filth, the craziness, they can't retain them because it's scary. And even in my culture, you know, like some of the, the cooks are, are, are ladies, elder ladies, and either leaving 24th Street or the Mission at late night or in the morning. I mean, we just had an elder attacked in broad daylight, and she was going to her job, and she's a teacher, right? And we had a community meeting. We had a press conference. But um, it's not only that. And this same business that lost employees, she got a bad Yelp review because it stunk outside, like, her urine. So, like, it's just... It's craziness, and and I think, you know, if you see the department budget for the public department works, it, it's on par to probably a larger budget than some counties in California alone. And a lot of my friends work at DPW, and they don't do much. And you know, I'll put them on blast right now, right? Like, we have the resource. It's just more effective management of the resource we do have, right? You know, like some of the stuff we do here in the mission is we activate the spaces, right? We just bring a ton of people, music, cultural, fun, and we occupy the space, bring in low riders, shut down the streets, and at least for a few hours a night, 
it's safe because, you know, everybody's out there. You see the kids running around, you know, because they know we're out there. Um, the merchants feel safe because we're out there and just vast volumes of um, people. And we have to bring in, I have to hire um, um, stadium lights, you know, the ones with generators. Can you believe that? Like, we have to bring in stuff that the city easily could do or should have in place. And our, it's just those. They're, they're just, it's crazy. It's like the streets are unsafe and they're dirty. Like, I understand maybe the safety part, maybe, you know, is a little bit more complex, but cleaning, you could clean the streets. Like, there's no controversy on any side about that. So why? If DPW, you know, I'll put them on blast every day. And, you know, I, I think is having matrices like DPW by sections and districts that is transparent, visible online on their website. Like, what are they doing? Like, how much tonnage of garbage have they done? How much water have they used power washing? Like, you know, we could get this, that, and these matrix. And, it, yeah, and it's quantifiable. Like, okay, you used this much water today? What did you clean? Or did you just dump it down a drain or something? I don't know. But it's crazy. It's, it's Charles Bronson's 1970 Vigilante movies. I recommend. <laughs> Commissioner Carter. Yeah, I'll I'll speak to to the tenderloin because that's where I'm at every day, and I want to see more investment in, in like urban alchemy and community ambassadors. Like they're literally outside when I pull up, <laughs> they're cleaning the streets, they're clearing out the way for me, so that like I definitely feel safe when they're there and. You can literally see a shift in, in the times, like if it's start getting late and, and they're going home or whatever, like it, it's, it's very visible. So um, I'll definitely give a lot of praise to Urban Alchemy because I see the guys out there every day and this is very from personal experience. Like they're like sweeping the streets, they have their little dusters, um, brooms and in garbage cans and stuff like that. And I think we should have the same legislation as we did for the um, for the graffiti abatement or graffiti removal um, to have our commercial district washed down. Like I see, um, if you guys have been to the La Cocina market, the opposite side is UC Hastings. And that side is crystal clean. I don't know what type of money <laughs> their investment is to have that done every day, but it's definitely um, a difference in streets. And I think you can see that across the city. So, um, yeah, I would like to see more investment, like in our, especially our, our commercial districts, to be washed down. And, like, the mission, like, I've never saw the mission like that, and, and I'm a native of San Francisco like it's just getting worse and worse every day and, and like even for me being being from um being from Bayview you know like I get to the mission in certain parts of downtown and the Tenderloin and, and it's still kind of scary <laughs> like you know so we have to address this it's an ongoing issue I just couldn't imagine um ha being a business owner um on a mission right now so yeah, I think we need we need to um I mean the safety and the cleaning, we need to address it. Vice President Zuzunas. Thank you. I, I kinda have a technical question and maybe the director can help me understand 
because I know that there are code, there's code and jurisdiction restrictions with Department of Public Works and how much of private property they can clean. Um, and I, I know that the city is, um, on behalf of a lot of our, our commissions pushing, is, is creating the tools to better have an inventory of property owners, right? So is there a way that this new registry or this new type of um, communication that we're trying to have as a city with property owners, is there a way to bake into to that a new arrangement for how we clean private sidewalks that are oftentimes maybe the ones that are the city can't touch that are dirty? Um, I mean, the proper, my question specifically is like, there's property tax, like is there, like what's the uh, agreement, you know, the civic like agreement between a property owner and the city and the taxes they pay, like are part of it uh, street cleaning, like is that what some of that money is supposed to go to or is it solely a property owner's responsibility to clean and then my, you know, secondary question is now that we're kind of trying to bridge that private to public, you know, relationship with property owners, like can we build new infrastructure to address areas that aren't in the city's jurisdiction to clean? So technically the responsibility of sidewalk maintenance, even for residential, is actually the, the property owner of the residence, right? Like in front of my house, I have to maintain the sidewalk. Um, if it's um, you know messed up, I have to go hire someone to go redo the concrete, right? So that's technically the case for commercial and for residential properties. Um, and so, and that applies to cleanliness as well. Um, you talked about a database. Uh, we are managing a commercial vacancies and trying to track those. So it's, I don't know that that's quite what you're trying to get at, but, um, uh, and, and, and honestly, the treasurer and tax collector's office, they have all the, you know, business owner contact information, right? But that I don't think speaks to the issue about street cleanliness, right? So all of our taxpayer dollars go to general city services, like, DPW, um, emptying out the public trash cans, um, um, tree maintenance, um, you know, the sidewalk, I mean, sorry, the street cleaning, right, that happens every now and then where we have to move our cars. Um, so all of those general city services are paid for by our, all of our taxpayer dollars. Um, in terms of then there have been some focused um, areas where, you know, whether it's through supervisors, add back funds, or what have you, because there's a lot more um, say like trash or what or, you know issues um, in certain neighborhoods like the mission or the tenderloin um, they will get a little bit more of that service compared to say like the west side neighborhoods right like they're they don't get as much of that street cleaning attention at all or sidewalk cleaning because they just don't have nearly as many issues so um, so of course we all feel like it's not enough um, but for some of the the neighborhoods that again have that heightened um, you know, whether it's investment through adbacks or, um, you know, neighborhood complaints, um, and it's very visible that there's more, say, illegal dumping um, or other issues on the street, then there will be a little bit more of that focused um, cleaning effort in those neighborhoods. So um, hopefully that just helps with the lay of the land there. Just really trying to get at if there's a code that's, that's or a, some type of legal inhibitor to the sidewalks being cleaned if you're not in a community benefit district, you know? 
I, yeah. Um, I think I was trying to explain, but they do yeah. clean some sidewalks, even though it is the responsibility of that mm -hmm. property owner. Technically, they actually do clean those areas, like I mentioned, like the Mission and okay. the Tenderloin, and um, in addition to CBDs doing that. So mm -hmm. um, okay. it, it is actually happening. It's just not happening maybe as frequently as we would like and in all the neighborhoods we would like. Okay, so there's no, um, we can't clean there because it's a property owner issue. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Herbert. Well, I don't want to drag this on, but I mean, it just seems like communities of color are left in the dust for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, like the mission is a mess. I don't know about Bayview. I haven't been there. Bayview's so the they're I improving mean, though. I, okay. I have to give credit where credit is due. They're getting better. I mean, the marina is spotless, so how does it, that happen? I'm sorry, I'm just wondering. Is it because they complain more, or there are more connections, or... And I'm not putting DPW down at all. I'm just stating the obvious, and I don't have an answer either, sorry. Yeah. That's right. Right. So yeah. So how do we change that? You know, I guess I think that's the bigger question. No, I, I think focusing on whether DPW is doing their job or not is—it's good to have oversight of that. But there's some bigger problem, in my opinion. I appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like this is kind of our opportunity to talk about these things, right? Like having this, um, having these things detailed on a survey that, I mean, our small business community is saying these are problems. And, um, you know, and right now we have this opportunity to have a little bit more of an open forum to really brainstorm some of these ideas. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with with the small business directories was um, how do we engage maybe some of our um, community organizations, especially the ones that um, serve uh, people who are either on the brink of being unhoused, um, maybe struggling with like mental health um, issues, like different people in our community who are, who are well equipped and and have experience being like um, safety nets for for people and making sure that our communities are taken care of. Because I noticed in the, well, in the Richmond, we've been talking a, a little bit about, you know, um, what do we do as a community? Because our small business owners are, are really, um, you know, they're seeing people suffering on the streets and they, they don't want this to happen, you know, and it's not just, hey, move off of my alcove and go into somebody else's alcove. Like, this, these are real, you know, the business owners are real people who live in the neighborhood and really want to help people. And so it's kind of like you feel a little bit helpless, like you see people every day and you kind of want to do something, but you don't know what to do. And so I was kind of thinking, like, maybe um, I have a Merchants Association meeting tomorrow morning, but I was going to talk a little bit about how do we create... Um, a resource guide that's kind of based off of scenarios too that are like you know this thing is happening who do we call mm -hmm. um, and when I've spoken to friends who um, are 
closer to the homeless advocacy world, you know, it's really about a, um, proportionate responses because, you know, the police may not be the right people to call for certain things, right? And we all know, we're all realizing that and knowing that now. So it's kind of like, you know, what are those layers of um, resources that we already have? And then we can start to identify those gaps, you know, because, and it's also kind of like um, follow-up care too, right? Like you want this person that you see every day to be able to have consistent care. And that may not come from me because I'm running my business, you know, and I also don't have that expertise, but it's like keeping everybody in the loop with what's going on and not just saying, okay, well, this, this issue happened and it's over now, go on with your life. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, we all still have interactions together. We're all still part of the same community. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of like my recommendation, at least for my neighborhood, is to see if we can't come together and figure out, you know, what are some of the more prevalent scenarios that happen? And in best case scenario, how would we, how would we deal with that? Um, so I haven't done it yet, but, you know, I'll, I'll kind of keep us posted if you want. But, uh, you know, those are kind of the solutions that I'm thinking about is engaging different people into this conversation and maybe in future meetings we can kind of engage different groups to kind of you know because I I'm over this like uh, finger pointing or kind of like you know you're a terrible person because you own a business like I don't I think we're not terrible people because we own businesses you know we're very much a part of this community and we care so much that we are opening up businesses that are really um, you know, all in the hopes of making this place a better place. So I think maybe we start to talk to different, um, you know, organizations, people, whoever. So I think that's something that I would like to put out there is if we have ideas of who, um, who might be good to talk to, we start bringing those up um, to Carrie. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Carter. So is this a discussion item, or do we have any solutions as far as we don't? I mean, you can offer you can offer something if you have a solution. I don't have solutions, but I'm wondering, like, um, I would like to to get to solutions as far as cleaning um, cleaning the streets and also security. Mm -hmm. I think that. That's good to have on record. <laughs> we do want to come to a solution. Um, Commissioner Herbert. Just one more thing. I think activating uh, the, the streets with, with events and then um, filling vacancies, storefront vacancies. Mm -hmm. However we get, like maybe we start with that and however we get there, you know, that will kind of drive, help drive a solution. Does that make sense? Okay, so moving on to the next piece. Um, eliminating excessive fees and taxes. One of the um, pieces that was brought up um, several times on the survey was um, reforming the health care security ordinance, so the HSCO. And... Um, Let's see, fee consolidation, simplification, simplifying fees. So, I, yeah, I mean, these are pretty self-explanatory. We all feel like we 
<laughs> we pay a lot in fees, and it's very confusing. And um, so I'm going to open that up, I think, for discussion. Commissioner Carter. I believe we talked about this with Director um, Tang, but extending the free four years, is that still on the table? Is that part of the fees? Oh, you're talking about yeah, first year uh, free. First year free, yes. Uh -huh. um, that's something we are advocating for. Great. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Give small business back the HCL fees that are sitting there. That's crazy. Only, only we do crazy stuff like that. Small business told you, and now there's duplicate with Cover California. I just, this is crazy. No, no fun. Just give it back to whoever put it in, and they can't ask. Just give it back. Easy. See? I don't have to go to MIT or nothing. <laughs> Um, the health, the health commission gets periodic updates on the like what they're doing with this fund, and currently um, there's sort of like a three-year plan to eventually have that money go into the general fund, and the health commission has recommended that whatever it be used for support healthcare services um, or providers, and that's kind of how the general conversation's gone. So there's a few years in which the city is trying to get people to utilize what is left in that funding. Employees or former employees still can use it, and the city's gonna spend some time trying to outreach and get people to use it, and then eventually what is left of that will go into the general fund. And that's, that's the plan. I mean, maybe we could clean the streets with that money or, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, so. Clean the streets and hire more police. Director. Or, oh. you know. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no worries. Well, meal exchange programs, things that are health-related. I mean, cleaner streets are health-related, too. But, you know, like programs for all the people that are on the street that need some public programs to help them get off the street or. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Director Tang. I think maybe two things for this group to think about is one, um, obviously weighing in on the expenditure of the funds that have been left over in the city if, I mean, it may be spoken for already, but it doesn't hurt to have your input on that. But then secondly, and most importantly, is the policy itself. And you know, there were changes to HCSO a couple years ago, and you might just wanna think about whether it still makes sense the way it's um, you know, uh, run right now, or if you wanna propose additional changes. So really two things. Yes. Just on that, I, I think the HCSO is especially around the policy and the changes. I think we need to like draft something up us right now. Not today, but like that that's time sensitive. Like I know they already got the hooks on that money, so I'm not but let's not make small businesses throw away money in the future. Like I mean those are the things we should be on. Mm -hmm. So that's just crazy. Like we're crazy. I know some we're crazy, but that's crazy. <laughs> like it just bothers me. Yeah. Just while we're on this conversation, is that the type of thing that it would be helpful to get more background info on 
or do, does everybody feel like they're comfortable enough with that topic? I might have drafted something related to it at one point. In, in my memory, do you have a memory of that? I was just curious if like, if I don't, I don't know who it would be, but like if a presentation on that would be like helpful to, to hear if you all. I do feel like we, as a commission and our staff, has have done that background preparation. Uh -huh. I feel like it exists somewhere in our in our files, um, just so you don't have to do it all over again. But um, have we gotten a presentation on that? I don't know. No. I think that would be a good next step. I mean, I think we should definitely. It sounds like we definitely want to move on that, right? Like. Um, and maybe some sort of presentation to get us all up to speed with what the possibilities are so that we can draft a cohesive like resolution towards, um, towards a solution, I think would be helpful. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's just so frustrating that we are talking all the time about how to get small business employees benefits and this was supposed to be the program that did it and the onus should be on them that it failed <laughs> not yeah. small businesses I, I feel like that conversation just hasn't been had at all yeah and I think our survey agrees <laughs> so I think it's good to act on obviously like these are these are people who actually took time out of their day to like fill this out and many people wrote like really long um, you know accounts of what they would like to see done differently so this is only like a little synopsis a little taste of what people said I mean people our small business community really came through and gave a lot of um, a lot of information about how they're doing so um, you know it sounds like that that seems like a plan right now for that piece and then um for the other things i want to be able to actually you know move towards solutions or resolutions or other you know means for things do you think the next step might be to kind of put together like the notes and the summary of some of the solutions that we came up with today and um, and then we kind of talk about this again. I feel like we came up with a lot of really creative and interesting kind of things um, during our discussion that I would love to see how many of those could be viable to in um, yeah and how how we might move forward with them. Does that make sense? Do you think the commission like wants to see like another round of this, or should we just sort of like take that info and? and bake it into the report. I mean, I think we were pretty comprehensive today. I don't know, what do you think? Definitely, like, if there's anything that we left on the table, like, if you want to review the survey again and see if there are other comments that might trigger other types of ideas. Um, I think from today's discussion, we have a pretty good idea of how everybody is thinking and, like, how, f you know, how far we're willing to dream, you know, so, um, I think we can give you comment maybe during the next couple of weeks to see if there's any additional things. Um, but I feel really good about like how far we went with today's conversation. So I just have a quick follow-up question. Um, with were there was there a way to track any specific 
or named codes or fees that small businesses, was there a, a trend or a way to identify if, if people mentioned the same one or something or any specific area for, for identifying which codes and fees small businesses are alluding to? I don't remember and if we, most of the, like, the feedback was just sort of um, general statements and HSCO was the, like, the one that I think that got was called out specifically. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. We can review the survey again, though, and the qualitative data. Y do you all have copies of the qualitative data also? Because you can skim through to be able to read it. You can reshare. Okay. Yeah. I have one more question. Sure. Um, is it public information, the amount of money that's in the fund, or am I missing a line in my, is it? Um, 775 million? No. 15 million? Okay. There were two different numbers. I will be perfectly honest, it was hard to tell. 775 million got thrown around a lot, and then 104 million was the other number I saw. Okay. And I can't tell if that's just like, because the healthcare security ordinance is part of like a larger health coverage in San Francisco push, I can't tell exactly how much is in what fund. It's probably both. They just don't know where to have it. Okay, um, any other comments? No, um, we'll have to take uh, public comment. There. There's no public comment? <laughs> okay, so uh, no further comments. Um, item is closed, next item. Item five, approval of draft meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item. Commissioners, any comments on the minutes? No. Uh, questions? No? Okay, we'll open it up for public comment. There's no public comment. Um, any public comment on the line? None on the line. Great. Um, does somebody want to make, does a commissioner want to make a motion to approve the meeting minutes. Oh, I'll make a motion <laughs> to approve the minute meeting, meeting minutes. I second it. Motion by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Carter. I'll read the roll, Commissioner Carter. Yes. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Herbert. Yes. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. And Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Motion passes. Oh, are you? Oh, next item, please. Item six, general <laughs> public comment. This is a discussion item. Uh, any members of the public who would like to make comments on items not on the agenda? There are no callers in the room or online. Um, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item seven, director's report. This is a discussion item. All right, good evening, commissioners. Um, wanted to share that last week on Thursday, uh, our office, along with Mayor Breed, announced um, proposed legislation that we hope will be introduced April or May at the board um, to improve the small business permitting process through over 100 proposed changes to the planning code. So we have reviewed um, zoning tables and um, all the different um, 
in all the different neighborhoods and have made recommendations um, to each of the supervisors' offices. Um, and so uh, many of the recommendations in the legislation align with feedback that we've heard um, through our merchant walks um, in the communities um, throughout the entire city. And we also appreciate that the press event was a great way to showcase the Permit Center, which opened in July of 2021, very quietly, but is a great place for people to get consolidated um, services and also where our small business permit specialists are located. Um, secondly, on the legislative front, um, Supervisor Safai recently introduced legislation to eliminate shared spaces permit fees um, and increase the annual gross receipt threshold for businesses that can receive the 50% reduction off of the annual license fees. And these are for um, shared spaces that are curbside. And the threshold right now for the 50% um, discount is uh, 2 million. So he wants to raise that threshold to 2.5 million in annual gross revenue. Um, the next piece of legislation is um, regarding limited live performances in Polk Street um, in their neighborhood commercial district. So Supervisor Peskin introduced an ordinance to allow limited live performances to run until 11 p.m. instead of 10 p.m. Um, again, this is specific to Polk Street and CD. Uh, and then lastly, um, uh, want to share that uh, our office will be uh, participating in the port's annual contract open house on Thursday, an opportunity for participants to learn about contracting opportunities with the port and establish partnerships with other firms as well. Um, I do believe, I don't know if this is still true, but um, Commissioner Carter's business, Bouj Kali, will be providing breakfast at the event. Is that still happening? No. Oh, okay, apologies, <laughs> it said it on the flyer, so, okay, <laughs> scratch that from the minutes, okay, uh, but anyway, we will be participating just to share uh, resources from our office, and that is it for my updates. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was excited about that. Uh, great, thank you very much, Director Tang. Um, any, let's see, any questions? Comments? Oh, Commissioner Commons? Uh, Commissioner Carter? Yeah, I love the um, the ordinance to, for live music until 11 p.m. Like, San Francisco really has to get back into that <laughs> across the city and not just Polk Street. So I will be interested in seeing other supervisors take some initiative in that, especially in the downtown districts and really across the city. Um, any other commissioner comments? No? Public comments? There's no public comment online or in the room. Hearing no further uh, comments, public comment is closed. Um, next item, please. Uh, item eight, commissioner discussion and new business. This is a discussion item. Vice President Zazunas. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I just wanted to also say I attended the press conference at the Permit Center and it was really great to have our, our women leaders really pushing this work. Um, I feel like that is San Francisco, you know, that we need to tip our hat to that because, you know, the, the, the women are pioneering our, you know, move from stagnation into change in the new era. So it was great to see our administrator um, and our director and our mayor uh, speak to work that our commission has been championing for, for years. So that was really awesome to see. And um, we got to shout out our Office of Small Business staff to the media, which I really liked, because um, they deserve 
to be known and um, announcements on my end, um, Ramadan Mubarak, happy Ramadan to our small businesses that are celebrating. We have a, a iftar at City Hall on Friday, uh, which is a breaking of the fast. And I wanted to make another announcement. There's the Armenian community is inviting the general public and our um, electeds to an event on Saturday, April 1st from 11 a.m. to 12.30, and it's actually an unearthing ceremony of a capsule that was planted below Mount Davidson 100 years ago in 1923. So that's really crazy <laughs> to see some San Francisco history um, unearthed. And uh, that will be a free event open to the public. And it's um, the Armenian community at Mount Davidson on Saturday, April 1st. That's my updates. That's very cool. Um, Commissioner Ortiz-Cartania. Thank you. Um, I, I, I have an ask for, for our commission to ask the Diploma DPH, right, um, regarding California Senate Bill 972, regarding street vendors for food. Um, I would like them to come present to clarify how that affects our permitting and legislation here locally. Um, specifically in the Mission District, you know, this is a huge way of people earning their livings and especially around just cooking raw products and whatnot and just clarifying what, what's the plan because it's very not clear and I want to be proactive as opposed to be reactive and then, you know, you know how the city does. So have them come up here and tell us what they're going to do regarding permitting. That's one. Two, um, I want to thank our office and our staff, they came and trained regarding the ADA grant, the Kalecha team, the nonprofit I'm part of. They came to the office, it was great. Um, Director Tang was there, Regina. Um, it was just awesome just to see people and, and scare us because that's what ended up happening. They taught us, but they scared us more than anything because they made us that much more intelligent and aware, right? <laughs> Sometimes ignorance is bliss. So. I want to thank them for that. Um, and also um, SBDC, they, they trained our staff just kind of meet and greet and tell them all the resources. And they're just so always so friendly. Um, we had a small business, had some fraud with EIDL, and they just got us to the SBA. And they did a lot of navigating, which is really hands-on and just fast, right? And that was, that was dope. And um, lastly, Galicia is going to have an event on Friday April 14th at 6 p.m. at the both bar plazas. We're going to have live music. We're going to have, you know, face painting, vendors, jumpers. We always have a live animal surprise. So going with the theme, <laughs> if it's Easter, you could only guess what it might be, but I'm not going to spoil it. But um, they're really fun. You know, the lowriders come out and again, it's just activation. So you being there, even if you don't buy anything, you are, you know, creating alternative ways of, of creating safety for community. So tell everybody. And I'll have a flyer soon. Um, Commissioner Carter. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Port of San Francisco, OEWD. Um, we just had black women makers on the waterfront and it, um, on Saturday, and it was, it was beautiful. Like, it was so nice. Um, just to really diver diversify the, the port 
And I think we should do that across the board, not just for black women, but for all BIPOC communities. Because um, we're not really used to seeing um, different ethnicities in, the, in those markets. And so, yeah, our vendors did really well. They sold out, they were like super excited and it just provided them with customers that they wouldn't normally have, you know? And just to see so many people show up to the port, um, I mean, to, to the ferry building. A lot of people show up anyway, but people that wouldn't normally show up, I think that was really, really great. So I'll be there on Thursday. Um, I wanted to cater, but they wanted like 300 catering for like seven in the morning. I'm like, no, I can't do it. So, um, <laughs> and then I think I would like an update on the, um, on the street vending that we did a few months ago. Um, to see how it's going. Like, I don't know what's going on in, yeah. <laughs> I drive down Mission and I'm just like, what happened to the, you know. I'm gonna go look up Charles Brunson. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would like us to cir circle back and, yeah. and see what's going on. Cause it, it just seemed like it's, it's getting worse and worse out there and yeah. Uh, Vice President Dezunas. Thank you. Sorry, I forgot one thing I just wanted to have on the record. I, I had the privilege of sitting in to the last Reparations Commission's meeting. We have uh, a representative. Our, our co-commissioner also sits on that body, uh, to, uh, Commissioner Carter. And I was just so impressed with the specificity of the recommendations and the economic recommendations fall very squarely in our our economic recovery recommendations around cleaning up outdated codes that are tainted with you know the the kind of racial bias of the eras that they were created in um so i would love to um have it on the record that however our commission can support some of the nexus to small business you know, pathways to ownership, commercial ownership, those types of recommendations are exactly ones we've made. So um, love to have that on our new business somehow, how to, how to support those. Thank you. I know that I was able to review some of the um, draft, like reparations reports, I think. Um, has, every, has everybody gotten a copy of that too? Is that something that you, you can visit SF? SFreparations.org um, and go to documents. Everyone should read it. It's a lot of great, great recommendations that I think are not only good for the black community, that'll be good for San Francisco. I mean, I think that's how we have to start thinking about all of these things is really that it's not just good for this for one community, it's really good for all of us. And if we started thinking that way, then we would, we would try to read everything. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't, I, I didn't really have anything else except um, I also wanted to encourage people to really visit new neighborhoods. I think uh, Director Tang and Carrie, you've been going out into different neighborhoods with uh, Marianne and and um, visiting so many different places. And um, you know, when you were talking about people coming out to the port and the ferry building to, you know, I feel like every time you go into a different neighborhood, it's like a little vacation, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we just, 
and that's how we're gonna start to imagine ourselves as one city not just like people who go to work and come home at night and you know so uh commissioner dickerson i'm excited to announce at first i wasn't gonna say nothing <laughs> oh i'm excited i didn't want all y'all to feel guilty about it no i'm kidding um i'm excited um the hit fit boot camp is a partner u3 fit is partnered with rafiki and we are bringing back the hip fit the hip fit uh, boot camp. What is that, Lawanda? That is a boot camp class where um, we do everything from strength training to step to, and it's all with with hip 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 hop R and B. Everything is done to the beat to the rhythm. A lot of fun. Um, the last time we had this class, we had anywhere from thirty five to fifty people attend. Um, and so I partner with Rafiki, which is amazing because Rafiki now is going to be um, providing all services for free on that day. So my class has never been free, but it'll be free. We have Nicole Yarbrough who will be doing the yoga and stretching after from 10 to 11. We have life coaching, acupuncture, massage therapy. We have all types of services and they're all free. So starting Saturday, April 1st, we will be launching, and we're excited. I think we're going to be packed out before it even starts. We're excited. How, how do you sign up for this? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, once we have put the word out, I'm, uh, um, you come, and, and it, how do you register? We're not registering. You're going you're gonna to come. You just come, and, and you... And we're going to uh, provide services as many people as we can. And as it grows, of course, we'll, we've already targeted other spaces. We're thinking about the Southeast Center over there. I, I'm very committed to staying in the Bayview with this class because this class had provided, it was, a, it was an amazing, I call it a movement because before COVID, um, it got to the point where there was no more room. There was no more room. I mean, people were waiting outside. Um, if you go to my Facebook or, or Instagram, you can see I, I put in the, the marketing, um, the video, um, you can see how many people were attending. It's an amazing, it's the energy. It's the energy. What's your Instagram? Youth, I'm, brand, I'm fully branded, so everything is U3 Fit. Okay. Everything is U3 Fit. Okay, um, so we're all going to meet there. We won't talk about any sort of, we can't talk to one another while we're there. No. But it's it, 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 it no, no not, not very much. You might be able to like, yes. But uh, it, it is, it, you know what, even if you don't, it's not, I tell people all the time, if you just experience it one time, talk about the energy in one space and everybody moving and in a grand, the music is inspirational and every move you, you move, it's to the beat and then it's just, I can't describe it other than I'll see you there. And Oh, you, you watch and see. <laughs> what you know about that girl? Hey, don't be surprised. You might see some of that in it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing um, experience, but it's, it's really about the community, and people really miss this class. So I'm excited to partner with Rafiki and um, um, provide this for free for the first time. So, well, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Commissioner Carter. I love the partnership thing. I'm wondering if we can do more stuff to where we partner more in community. Um, 
For me, I think of it like as a somewhat like a accelerator for small businesses. If they can partner with with other businesses, maybe that don't necessarily go together or that do go together. But I think it would be pretty. I mean, I see it a lot in fashion because I have like a young adult who's like she's getting a new collab like they're they're doing that so like how can we do that as small business like some type of initiative to like partner with a small business like you know like I wasn't able to to take on that thing with the port but like if I collabed with somebody else like maybe we could have made that happen like that would be pretty dope and build more community and you know um, more clients and customers and all that good stuff mm-hmm Um, let's see. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing, doing that on the plaza. Um, okay, I'm going to rein it in. So, um, any public comment? There is none. Great. Um, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item nine, adjournment, SFGovTV. Please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission official public forum to voice, to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco, and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>